Hey folks, this episode features some less than pleasant material, so this is your regular spooky. That's right, it is a spooky warning. Welcome to Haunted Honeys. I'm Grant. And I'm Elena. And welcome to Haunted Honeys. The podcast where a ghoulish couple teaches each other about terrifying things in the past. So what kind of roads do ghosts haunt? I don't know. What kind of roads do ghosts haunt? Dead ends. Huh? Huh? Okay, so what are we talking about today? No, I got another one. I got another one. Okay, ready? What would you call the ghost of a door-to-door salesman? A dead ringer? Because of the doorbell. Yeah, because he's dead. All right, so what are we talking about? No, I got one more. I got one more. Okay, okay. What do you get if you cross a cocker spaniel, a poodle, and a ghost? You get a possessed cockapoo. Uh-uh. Okay, what is it? A cockapoodle boo! Alright, so what are we talking about on today's episode? <laughs> that's, that's what I really like. Cockapoodle boo! So, yeah, fine, we'll move on. In, in honor of Halloween, mm-hmm. we, we are gonna talk about some, some spooky things. Yeah. Maybe some ghosts. Whole lot of death for sure. We already have had a few ghosts. Probably some crime. There's gonna be some crime in here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, we have talked about some ghosts. Our episodes on the Iroquois fire mm-hmm. and the Eastland disaster all had some some ghost haunting things in it. Gonna share some uh, specifically Chicago well known hauntings. Mm-hmm. A couple lesser known ones. Some spooky things. All that stuff. So you ready? I'm so. Ready? I'm so ready to learn about the dead that walk among us. So, so first, uh, we are going to talk about the Congress Plaza Hotel. Okay, I just walked past it. Yeah. Like two hours ago. Yeah, uh, but for those who don't know, it is a hotel located right on Michigan Avenue, right in front of Grant Park. It is actually considered one of the most haunted places in Chicago. Really? Yeah. Like, if you search, like, most haunted places in Chicago, it comes up on every list. Well, tell me more. Well, a little background for other people. Okay. Because you know this. You you know about the strike, which is what it's known for nowadays in Chicago. Was There was this strike that lasted, like, a decade, from, like, 2003 to 2013, where uh, the local union for hospitality and service at that hotel went on strike because there was going to be a 7% wage cut. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's the world's longest strike. Did you know that? I did not. It was short of 10 years by like 15 days. Mm-hmm. There can't be much competition. Back in the day when the hotel first opened and when it wasn't like known as the hotel that you don't go to because everyone's striking in front of it. Mm-hmm. And you shouldn't support uh, uh, exploitative labor practices. It was 
considered one of the finest places to stay in Chicago when it opened. Oh. It opened in uh, 1893 for the World's Fair, actually. <laughs> and, and since it opened, it's had several major renovations and expansions. Mm -hmm. A certain point in history, the building was actually linked to the Auditorium Theater across the street by an underground tunnel system. Mm -hmm. Which is pretty cool. Um, it was called Peacock Alley. Because everyone would get dressed up in strut down there? Maybe. Okay. I mean, they're going to the theater. Right, It was yeah. like lined with marble and apparently very gorgeous. It's sealed up. You can't see it now. But I think that's pretty cool. <laughs> Another fun fact before we get to the spooky things. President Woodrow Wilson passed the hotel in 1916. Protesters from the National Women's Party uh, held a silent protest for women's suffrage outside of it. Mm -hmm. There's actually like a very famous photo that gets seen a lot representing like women's suffrage that was taken outside of the building huh all right um all those women uh were attacked by a mob though while protesting yeah yeah uh <laughs> journalists got thrown through the front window during the 1968 democratic convention too yeah hotels seen a lot of things including a lot of crime yeah and death yeah that's how you get ghosts so one of the uh most famous ghost stories at this hotel is that the 12th floor is haunted by a little boy. Mm -hmm. uh, it's believed to be the ghost of Carl Langer, who was six years old at the time when he died. Um, and he died because his mother threw him and his little brother out of a window. Shouldn't he be haunting the street? That could make sense, too. But she <laughs> did throw him out of the 12th floor. Okay, all right. Um, so the family was refugees. They escaped from uh, Prague during... The time when Hitler was taking over, like, Czechoslovakia and everything. Mm -hmm. And they were, they sold a factory, and apparently they had a mansion back there that they also sold to just get out and leave. And they ended up living in a basement here in Chicago. Oh, as far from the 12th floor as they could get. Yeah. Yeah. Their mother, though, was very terrified that they would be sent back. Mm -hmm. And she was apparently suffering from a nervous breakdown at the time. And took the children to the Congress Hotel. And so Carl was six at the time and his little brother was four. Uh, and in August 1939, uh, asked for a room on the top floor. Took the boys up there and threw them out before jumping out herself. Oh, okay. um, And the reason people believe you just see him mm -hmm. is because after the incident... The newspapers used a picture of just the mother and the younger brother to tell the story. It wasn't, like, a picture of all uh -huh. three. So people believe that, like, he's haunting the place because he didn't get closure and recognition, basically, right. for his death. He, he's haunting for the publicity of it all. <laughs> well, everyone forgot he died, too. Uh, well, once this episode comes out, he'll stop haunting, and the mom and the little and the younger brother will instead. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's the sort of power we have here at History Honey. Yeah, we help ghosts. Rate and review. Put a little boy to rest. <laughs> the sightings say that he's seen on the 12th floor. People report feeling like they're being chased by someone down the hallways. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, though, people say they see a little boy with a little girl. Uh-huh. Which makes the idea that it's Carl not seem so on point. Mm -hmm. uh, instead, if that's the case, it seems more like it would be that of a brother and sister who died in the Iroquois theater fire. Uh -huh. And uh, it's connected to a story of where a mother was searching for her children all day, came back to the hotel at the end to rest, and perhaps it is the children looking for her. 
<laughs> they'll, they'll, they'll find each other eventually, one of these days. Going to reunite this whole ghost family. Yeah. It's going to be beautiful. So some other incidents from the hotel. Um, an elevator operator fell four stories down an elevator shaft in 1904 and died. There, In 1908, there was a love triangle uh, that led to an attempted murder-suicide by a woman's lover uh, just outside the hotel, like right in the like cabbie pickup area. That doesn't sound like a very loving triangle. Uh, she ended up surviving, oh, but everyone else, the other two died. Oh, that's not good. Yeah. Uh, that same year, there was a man named Roy Gormley who uh, asked the orchestra to play the Dead March from Saul, uh, which is a tune that's known for being played for soldiers buried at sea. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said he would pay them $500, but the conductor didn't like have the sh- music for it. So it said that Roy hummed it uh, until they could like play the best that they could of it. Sure. Uh, he then bought them a round of drinks. And paid for a round to be given to them on Monday, and then went back up to his room and shot himself. You think the orchestra huh. like cashed in their their drink coupons on Monday? I hope so. Or is it just too weird at that point? Uh, he paid for it. You might as well. <laughs> Often people report seeing a twenties man or a gangster mm-hmm. guy. Uh, no, that's just the tour guide. A lot of people try to say like all the ghost stories you read about this place. People try to be like, oh, it's. Al Capone's ghost. Well, he didn't die there. <laughs> On the other hand, ghosts don't have to follow strict logic because they're not real. <laughs> well, also, though, the, the Congress Hotel, people try to very much connect to Capone, mm-hmm. which there is, like, some stuff that says that he probably was doing some business through the hotel. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't actually, like, a place he operated, because he had right. places not that far away that, like, he actually, like, used as his, like, offices. Mm-hmm. So it's probably some mobster dude died there. It's not <laughs> Capone, guys. There's it's a, not. There's a lot of mobster dudes in history. Yeah. Give the other guys a chance for some recognition. Yeah. The ballroom, also known as the gold room. Uh, it's said to be haunted by a ghost of a man with a peg leg. Okay. Uh, a lot of people claim it was like a hobo with a peg leg that got murdered. Wow. This is uh, really making me glad I've never stayed there. <laughs> My mom did. How'd she make it out alive? I should ask her if she has any weird stories. Um, But there's no like real st- like newspaper stories that talk about like a one-leg hobo guy getting murdered. So, I don't really know where that comes from. That'd have to be a slow news day. Just because there's nothing in the Tribune doesn't mean it didn't happen. Uh, One of my favorite um, Chicago area ghost and strange things websites, uh, one of the guys Mm -hmm. pointed out that the story of Peg Leg Johnny, to connect to the ghost, Mm -hmm. uh, this was a one-legged killer clown who murdered someone. This this is suddenly very timely. <laughs> uh, who murdered someone about 20 blocks away, went to jail, escaped, and was never seen again. Perhaps he died within the hotel. <laughs> this isn't like Ryan Murphy rules. Why do we care about where people died on, like, the property line? Ghost stories are typically connected to, like, an event that happened there. Mm-hmm. If if there is some weird thing happening, well, let's look at what 
crime or events have happened here. I suppose. It's very weird to be like, oh, well, we just got a random ghost and we don't know why. <laughs> but we know who to call. There's also a shadowy figure. It's always known as the shadowy figure. That, <laughs> That's uh, just Rom. What are you talking about? The shadowy figure um, seems to haunt people associated to the military. Okay. It is thought it is the ghost of the first man to die violently in the hotel, which was uh, a Captain Lewis Ostime. Uh, he was a U.S. Army officer who in 1900, after uh, suffering from night terrors, probably from PTSD from the Spanish-American War, mm -hmm. um, shot himself in the head in the hotel. He was supposed to be married the next day. Oh. Yeah. So people think that's the shadowy figure. He didn't even get to open the presents. Or eat the cake. Cake probably wasn't that good. It was 1900 <laughs> cake. Had like yeah. 25 billion eggs in it and like very little sugar. We invented sugar in the 1940s. Little known fact. So my favorite story is that of the gloved hand sticking out of a wall in the basement. Those are the workers that should strike. That is unsafe conditions. This hand that's like coming out of a wall, gripping a pole. Mm-hmm. And it's like concrete but that's, it's a hand that's messed up it's believed to be the hand of a worker who somehow got left behind during construction and put into the wall but i'm sorry to say this has been proven wrong <laughs> <laughs> the the man who started this uh rumor and took the original photo mm -hmm. adam selzer who um, runs the mysterious chicago website that i adore owned up stating that he took the picture because he does, like, ghost tours. He would, like, show it off and be like, hey, guys, look at this picture I took. Mm -hmm. Look at this thing. And now it's, like, all over the internet. Like, <laughs> people just, like, say, this is truth. There was a person that's in this wall. Well, from him seeing it, he's like, there's not enough room there for there to be a person in there, first off. <laughs> so it's a hodag situation. It could have been maybe, like, a glove that somehow got, like plaster all over it <laughs> he's actually gone back and looked at it again and it's apparently been deteriorating so it's probably just like some plaster that kind of like clumped and fell off the wall <laughs> and just happens to look like a hand Spooky coming out of the wall clumps. i really like that one well we'll have to put the picture up because it's pretty funny mm -hmm. there's actually some amazing um like paranormal website people that like forums where people are just talking about what they experienced when they stayed there <laughs> it's really funny really small rooms uh a lot of people talking about like elevators being weird <laughs> no, they, uh, they're just broken that's all that is yeah like shooting up and down and not going to the floor you wanted or going to floors where no one was there uh my I, favorite my favorite one that i read was like someone talking about how like we were in bed and our door just opened slowly <laughs> and my girlfriend leaned over and said it's a ghost and then it closed and some other dude on the site was like dude you're probably getting robbed yeah and they heard that you were awake <laughs> I love spooky Yelp because the reviews are the exact same, but the stars are inversed. <laughs> Service was prompt. Everything was well lit. One star. <gasps> I didn't think I was going to die all the time. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's some of the stuff about the Congress Hotel. Don't go there. Talk about Resurrection Mary. Have you heard of Resurrection Mary? Uh, it seems like a name that keeps coming around. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, you can't keep that, that girl down. 
No, yeah, you, you really can't. Don't call it a comeback. She's been resurrected for years. <laughs> this is one of the few stories we're going to talk about that actually takes place outside of Chicago. No, it takes place... Uh, Heresy. In, it takes place at Resurrection Cemetery in Justice, Illinois, which is uh, like southwest of oh, the city. If you say so. There's only one suburb. It's called Suburb, and I don't pay <laughs> any attention to it. So starting in the 1930s, there were reports from multiple people coming in that they picked up a young female hitchhiker along Archer Avenue, and as they neared the cemetery, Resurrection Cemetery, the woman would ask to be let out and disappear into the cemetery. Or they would say that they met a girl at a dance hall. They would spend the night dancing with her, offer her a ride, and she would give them directions to the cemetery, Mm -hmm. where then she would disappear. Um, It sounds like a lady who just knew how to have fun on a date. (laughs) Who's just like, you know, I'm really going to fuck with these people. <laughs> yeah, if if you come back after that practical joke, you've earned the second date. <laughs> well, in addition to the hitchhiking, um, Mary is often seen outside the cemetery as well, popping up, like, and cars, like, swerve, thinking they're going to hit her, or they think they do hit her, get out, and then she's not there. So the story is mm-hmm. that Mary spent the evening dancing at a dance hall. Uh, along Archer Avenue, got into a disagreement with her boyfriend and left. She started walking up Archer Avenue and got struck and killed by a hit and run. Mm -hmm. And her parents found her where she died. And they buried her at Resurrection Cemetery in a white dancing dress, perhaps her favorite one, uh, which is often what she's seen wearing. It's unknown who Mary actually is. There are uh, several contenders Several contending Marys out there at Resurrection Cemetery. Are any of them actually named Mary? Yes. Okay. Like, all of them are. Oh, okay, cool. They are trying to, like, attach them to the Marys. Some Chicago area spooky thing people have kind of narrowed it down to one. There's a leading Mary, but you can't really know. It's also, you know, this is one of those, like, urban legend type stories that tends to pop up in a lot of different places. So, Mm -hmm. you know. Could have Mary, could not, could be a Fred. <laughs> One thing, connection to Resurrection Mary, uh, that actually no longer exists, there are these gates at the cemetery that were bent and scorched with what looked like, like a handprint. Ooh. And a man in the 1970s uh, said he was driving by and saw a woman holding the f- gate and screaming and called 911. And when they came, they didn't find find anyone there but they found these like bent and messed up bars i think he was just covering for like a dui well the cemetery does stick by the story that a truck hit it but fans of of resurrection mary like to think she had some like super hulk strength ghost powers ghost powers she's, she's got the ghost powers so you might, you might like this one. Oh. We're going to talk about the Field Museum. I love the Field we're gonna, Museum. We're going to talk about a mummy at the Field Museum. Oh, I, I've probably seen this, maybe. You ha- have seen this mummy. Okay, tell me about this mummy I've, I've uh, seen. So in the 1930s, mm-hmm. there, uh, one evening when the museum was closed, there was a night museum guard who heard a blood-curdling scream come from the Egyptian wing. My question is, what was Ben Stiller doing in the Field Museum? <laughs> what was Rami Malek doing there? Being awesome. <laughs> what else would he do ever? Right. He went to investigate where the scream came from, but there was no one there. 
but he found one of the mummies had fallen down and was lying face down inside its case. So the next morning, Mm -hmm. Henry Field arrived and conducted an investigation. This is like Henry Field of the Field Museum. Yeah. Like, he's he's the guy. Yeah. Uh, Upon his study, there was no explanation for why the mummy fell, and no person could have done it. I'm gonna I'm gonna propose one explanation. Hmm. Gravity. I think that might have been involved. Mm, no. Okay. So the case it was in, mm-hmm. there was no way it could have like done that. <laughs> like the way it fell and how it was face down and stuff. Like it it couldn't. Huh. Okay. It, like someone would have had to have like gotten in there and been like bloop, but. They couldn't have because it was also, like, a lock case filled with, like, poison fumes to keep bugs out. So, like, someone would have, like, passed out and been found. I wonder if they've changed their, like, bug prevention measures or if that museum, like, attended by hundreds of people every single day. Could die by poison bug fumes. Yeah, just full of secret pockets of poison gas. Field's notes from it actually stated. (laughs) Field notes. Field, yeah, his field notes uh, stated. Um, Our podcast is not sponsored by Field Notes brand. <laughs> we are not part of the Chicago Podcast Co-op. But hey, return my calls. <laughs> it stated that the base extended four inches on each side of the dried skin and bones. So the mummy. Yeah, the, the mummy um, part of the mummy. No sure. living person could have entered the poison case. No vibration in the building could have knocked it off the base without rending the walls. For the museum floats on an island of concrete. There being no hard pan on the filled in land along the lakefront. That's true. So Museum campus is entirely made of land fill. Yeah, so it's no way that it could have, like, shaken itself off. Uh, and then he goes on to say there is still no explanation for the screams or of the fallen mummy. It's just one more example of things we cannot explain. <laughs> <laughs> that last line's my favorite. Ah! Like, how many times does stuff happen there where they're like, oh, it's just another one of those things? Look, we're... Who ar- knows? We're archaeologists and administrators. We are not... We're not ghost hunters. It's not our expertise. So, yeah, that's the mummy. That's, that's the, the mummy. That's the story about the mummy. The, the screaming mummy. The mummy's curse. Cursed to fall over because its legs are tied together with bandages. I think that's what happened. The mummy tried to, like, rise and walk again, but it's like your shoelaces are tied together, but your entire feet and legs. And he's like, ah, flop. It's the only explanation. Makes sense. Uh, so we're going to talk about the Drake Hotel. Mm-hmm. So the Drake Hotel was built in, well, in 1920 uh, in the Gold Coast of Chicago, and it became one of Chicago's, like, landmark hotels. And so the Drake has, like, two main stories connected to it. Uh, one is about the woman in red who haunts the 10th floor. It's the ghost of a woman who uh, caught her husband cheating at a New Year's party and threw herself out of the 10th floor window. And now she is found dancing with me cheek to cheek. So if this story is true, that someone threw themselves out of the 10th floor window, uh, it never ended up in papers. Mm-hmm. But it was the year like the hotel opened that mm-hmm. it happened. They were new. They were presenting themselves at their finest. There's a good chance there's reasons why it didn't make the paper, such as people getting paid off not to write about it. There's also mm-hmm. a chance, depending on what 10th floor window it was, that she would not have hit, like, ground. She would have hit, like, another part of the building. <laughs> so, like, they could have easily, like, taken away her body. Mm-hmm. Dumped her in a dumpster somewhere. Without, you know, people on the street seeing her. <laughs> there's Lady in Red. 
And then there's the lady in black. You got a song uh-huh. for that one? No, but I think you do. Red. <laughs> Why aren't you singing with me? Because <laughs> it's your turn. So the the woman in black. Mm-hmm. People say they see a lady in black wandering the halls. Now, there is this very long story that kind of <laughs> connects to this, but not really. Okay. But we're going to kind of tell it. It's really long and confusing, but give you the like Cliff Notes version. So, in January 1944, Adele Bourne Williams, who was 58, uh, walked up to her eighth floor apartment at the hotel uh, with her daughter, which her daughter was like 30. Okay. Not, not like a child, like an adult. Um, the room was unlocked, and inside, uh, a gray-haired lady in a black coat was hiding in the bathroom. Pulled out a pistol, fired <laughs> at the daughter, Whoa. missed, and fired at Adele, hitting her in the head. She would die of the wound a few hours later. Now, the woman in black walked out of the room, was seen by a couple men before the daughter yelled for help, uh, and she got away. Mm-hmm. So police searched the area, and nothing was found. Four hours later, the gun appeared, shattered on a stairwell that they had searched. A spare key to the room was reported missing at the time of the murder, but reappeared in the evening. Nothing was taken from the room, and Mm -hmm. a phone call was placed from the room to a bar two blocks away shortly before the murder. This case has remained unsolved. Completely unsolved. I think the woman in black did it. (laughs) I cracked the case. So they tried to blame it on the daughter. Saying mm-hmm. that they must have been fighting for control over the gun, um, and that no one could have fit in the bathroom, though that was later like disproven. Like, yeah, someone could hide in there. It's a bathroom. What are you talking yeah, about? How large is this woman <laughs> that she can't fit in a bathroom? Um, Adele, the the dying mother, you know, didn't die for a few hours. She did like call her daughter's name several times, but she was able to describe the woman in black who shot her, mm-hmm. which was clearly not her daughter. So the best evidence they had was like the gun. That they eventually found. And this is where, like, things are weird. There's, like, they'd use the serial number to trace it to this guy, Walter Brown, who stole the gun in, like, 1939, but turned it into to police. And he couldn't have been a suspect because he was in jail at time for murder. But then, like, he's weirdly connected to it in a different way because his sister had borrowed, like, a different gun from him and tried to use it in an attempted holdup and was currently on probation. And she was working at the hotel, mm-hmm. along with his other sister. They were both they both worked at the Drake. Um, so both sisters were arrested a few times and questioned. Um, they submitted to lie detector tests that they passed, but they were known for several uh, bad things in their past, including the attempted holdup, mm-hmm. uh, also insurance fraud on jewelry. One of their husbands that they had been married to for a very short time ended up dead shortly after they divorced. Weird stuff like that. So they were always, like, suspicious of them. Right. Um, They could never pin anything on anyone. They never could say who it was. And people claim to see a ghost, a lady mm-hmm. in black. But the only story that's connected to something like that is that of, like, someone who murdered someone. There's not a ghost of that person. It's just... They're not the one that died. They're the one that shot people up. What if it's the ghost of Adele doing undercover work to try to discover the woman in black by, like, getting in her shoes for eternity? Oh. She's trying to figure it out. I'm really trying. trying to... I'm trying to meet these ghosts halfway. I'm trying to help. 
What if she was just killed by a ghost? I want to believe. What if the woman in black was a ghost? Oh, that makes so much more sense than the thing I said. Yeah. That's way better. What if she just was a murdering ghost? Who knows? Ooh, spooky. And with that, we're going to take a break. Let's have a spooky break. A spooky talking about some ghosts and stuff i would hope but we're gonna be talking about some I'm looking at the episode title it says ghosts some cemeteries oh this the, is where like, the ghosts live the the epitome of spook ghost home old city cemetery <laughs> is where lincoln park as we know it now is oh yeah yeah it's like lincoln park the park mm-hmm. not like the neighborhood it was the city's original burial ground. Mm-hmm. There were like a few other little ones were like that were informal. Like people would bury their dead like along the river and stuff by wherever they lived. Right. But it was the original one established in 1843, where the city of Chicago would go to bury their dead. Mm-hmm. And it was subdivided into uh, Potter's Field, which was the area for the unknown or poor. Mm-hmm. Um, the Catholic cemetery, Jewish cemetery, and then there was a general one. Right. Um, for all the good Christians. It was for all the rich people, really. Yeah, who happened to all be Protestants. Yeah. We're talking about America in the 1840s. That's true. That's true. <laughs> it was the only cemetery in Chicago till 1859. Mm-hmm. In geographical area, the southernmost area of the Lincoln Park Park Mm-hmm. was where the cemetery was. North Avenue, mm-hmm. so, like, where the History Museum and all that stuff meets right. Lakeshore. So it's, like, even south of North Avenue, there's some cemetery there, and then a big section north of North Avenue. And if you're not familiar with Chicago, where that was, is now it's now all park. It's now parks and it's really, lovely. really expensive houses. But th- <laughs> this is a very common thing for growing cities. Yes. Uh, a city is so big... And you bury your people nearby, but outside. But then the city grows, and outside becomes inside. And you gotta, you gotta use that land for something. In about fact, we just talked about it in the last episode. They they didn't want the cemetery here anymore. Is what most of this is going to be about. Is that they didn't want it there, and it was because in the 1850s there was talk to close it because of health concerns. Mm-hmm. Because that area is just so close to the lake. Because that's going to get into your water supply. Uh, that's not very nice. Also, like, it's, you know, the city's building up and you, you don't really want to look at a cemetery all the time. <laughs> um, but the health concerns, there's a doctor who was suggesting that they should look for cemeteries farther out. That this area should be turned into, like, a grove or a forest of trees. Something Ooh. that could be basically parkland. It was kind of ignored for a while. And then they started to take it a little more seriously to close it down. But in the early uh, 1860s, Rose Hill and Graceland cemeteries both opened, which we are going to talk about them a little bit more in detail. But they were both um, rural cemeteries outside the city limits. Uh Uh-huh. Like one is in what is now Lakeview. Lakeview at the time, though, was its own town. Mm -hmm. Now it's a neighborhood, but it, it it was a town. Another one was farther out. 
when those were opening, before they fully decided to shut down the city cemetery, uh, there was a push to be like, hey, we've opened these really nice cemeteries over here. Why don't you guys, like, move your loved ones from city cemetery out here? Oh, yeah. We have all this beautiful property. Move on up. Which, you know, some a lot of people did, but not everyone. Uh, it wasn't until uh, 1864 um, that the city council decided to close the cemetery and give add all of the cemetery land north of North Avenue to the park mm-hmm. and relocate the graves. South of North Avenue would be residential development stuff. The cemetery section south, those graves were relocated. Just it didn't become park. When does the haunting start? <laughs> we're we're going to get there. We're okay. going to get there. Okay. Well, now, you know, it's it's parkland. Lincoln Lincoln Park and a bunch of really expensive houses sit on an old cemetery. Mm-hmm. Much of the cemetery and the graves were moved. Um, it's believed that there were 35,000 people buried within the city cemetery. That's a lot of bodies to move. Yeah. That's a lot. I, I would not want that to be my job. It's it's believed that there's probably still 12,000 people mm-hmm. within the city cemetery area that got left behind. And you know, when you're uh, renting your absurdly expensive condo, that just adds character, really. Yeah, yeah. There, there's several reasons why, like, these people got left behind. Um, as I said, like, there, there was the original urge to, like, move your loved ones out there. It's prettier. Well, once they decided they're giving this parkland over, the city put ads in the paper, like, please move your people. Please mm-hmm. move your loved ones. Well... Not a lot of people could afford that. The amount of people buried there, there's only a certain percentage of people that can afford to right. dig up their loved one and move them. So are these estimates saying that uh, most of those left behind are in the Potter's Field area then? Well, there's several reasons why okay. most people were left behind in Potter's Field. Partially that. There were 4,000 Confederate prisoners of war who mm-hmm. were died at Camp Douglas, which was south of downtown, near the stockyards. Now their remains were laid to rest in the area by Potter's Field. But they did get moved. Their gravesites can be found at Oakwood Cemetery, um, which is in southern Chicago, in a one-acre mass grave. Oh. Ain't that nice? There's a monument, though, that was erected in 1895 for them. Um, It's not the the best accommodations for your final resting place, but that's what you get. Many Confederate prisoners are probably still stuck in the potter's field. Mm-hmm. Um, which is currently where the baseball fields are, if you know the Lincoln Park area. <laughs> the The lady that actually um, is behind the website that we're going to link to for this, she wrote an article and she was talking about um, some various newspaper headlines and stuff that she found in her research. And what really gives evidence to how many people are left behind was she found a Tribune Tribune article from the Times stating that they were going to start moving bodies that had yet to be moved. And this was a focus on Potter's Field. And Mm -hmm. the headline said that they believed 10,000 bodies remained. So they had 10 grave diggers, and it was thought that they could move 20 bodies a day, which would be 500 days to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a few weeks later, there was another article stating, we're almost done. (laughs) <laughs> there was no way they could be. They were just like, well, we're good. We've moved about 300 bodies. Turns out these gravediggers are way better at their job than we thought. 
like way better. So so that's really the big thing. So those were probably all people who could not afford to move their loved ones or were just unknown. But then the city was like, meh, we're not going to do this. We're just leave them there. It's fine. They needed to stay in city limits so they could vote. So they could vote, so they yeah. could use all those votes. The couch mausoleum is the one thing that remains. Mm-hmm. Above um, ground, at least. Yeah. <laughs> that we know of, that we like know we can see. Um, it is still standing. It is behind the Chicago History Ma- Museum. And it says Ira Couch, who is one of the city's earliest innkeepers. It is a 112 square foot mausoleum built mm-hmm. in 1858. Um, there's a plaque nearby that states that the remains of six, fam- six family members and a friend are inside. Like, people question whether that's actually true. It's hard to know. <laughs> they've tr- There's been stuff where they've tried to reach out to the family and they're like, well... Yeah, we think, but we're not sure. It's very unclear about why it's still there, too. Like, there is nothing that has been stated about, like, why it didn't get moved. Why that's still there. No one knows. Ten guys with shovels are not going to pick up a mausoleum, that's why. (laughs) They moved all the other ones! (laughs) Say, in the 1880s, though, there, there was a rumor that a woman in white would come walking out of the tomb. Quite often. Ira, wow. Even after death, Ira, nice. Another thing that helps support the fact that there are all these bodies under Lincoln Park is that in 1998, uh, they were doing construction in the park for a parking lot. Mm -hmm. They found a whole lot of bodies. (laughs) They found, like, partial bones of, like, at least, I think it was, like, 30 different people. Under this parking mm-hmm. lot? So the evidence that the park still has a lot of dead bodies in it is that they found a lot of dead bodies in the park. That too. This is an open and shut case. Yeah, that too. There's bodies there. The question of how many bodies yeah. is what's up for debate. Yeah, yeah. So if your dog like goes digging while walking through the park, you might not like what you find. It's not necessarily a Law & Order episode. <laughs> One more thing about Lincoln Park. So in the park area, in 1894, Four, they built this bridge mm-hmm. um, that was 42 feet high above the lagoon. <laughs> um, it was like a sightseeing bridge. They said you could see like all the way to the south side and see the stockyards on a clear day or Jackson Park. That's before they built all the really tall buildings. So so I believe it. You're yeah, sure. Yeah. It was called Suicide Bridge. Hmm. <laughs> I wonder why. It's unknown how many people died there, but... Within, like, six years, like, by by 1900, it was already known by that name. It didn't take long. It did close in 1919. But there are definitely a lot of ghost sightings connected to that bridge. Mm-hmm. A lot of, uh, seeing people in the area of where it was. The one that's really weird was, I read something about, like, police used to see a dude in a sombrero who would shoot at them. Why? I don't know. Nothing ever said why. That was actually the first uh, uh, example of movies at the park. <laughs> That's what that was. It's the end of the Great Train Robbery. Um, so now we're going to talk about Rose Hill Cemetery. Oh, okay. And this is going to be focused a little bit more on, like, other things. I think I've heard of that. Rose Hill? Yeah. yeah. I mentioned it a little while ago. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so Rose Hill is a 350-acre cemetery uh, is the largest cemetery 
in Chicago. You could fit so many Confederates there. It is on the north side of the city in the Lincoln Square area. Now, this one is the one that opened in 1859, mm-hmm. where a lot of the city cemetery was moved. It was not actually supposed to be called Rose Hill. Not Rose like the flower. Yeah, like it, it, Rose Hill is what it's currently called. R-O-S-E-H-I-L-L. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be Rose, as in R-O-E apostrophe S. The hill. hill belonging to Rose. Yes, because... Apparently, it's named for a nearby farmer with the last name of Roe, who refused to sell unless the cemetery was named in his honor. (laughs) But then the city clerk messed up and wrote it down as Rose Hill, and it stuck. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm sure the clerk messed (laughs) up. I was like, screw you, you ain't getting a cemetery named after you. Your corn's too expensive. I mean, how much did uh, the... the uh, guaranteed rate field naming rights go for. They haven't even announced that. Naming rights are expensive in this city. <laughs> You're going to have to pay more than just the land they're building it on. I'm sorry. The cemetery is actually really known for, like, its entrance gate. It has this elaborate limestone gate that was designed by, by uh, William W. Boynton, who also did the Chicago Water Tower. Mm-hmm. Now uh-huh. you, you you know why it's so elaborate. Because hmm. people are dying to get in. Uh, hey. He also did the new state capitol building in Springfield and like a billion other Chicago buildings. He's also buried in the cemetery. <laughs> well, yeah, you want to be near your work. One big thing at Rose Hill is uh, the Rose Hill Mausoleum. Mm-hmm. It uh, opened in a... Uh, 1914 it was designed by sydney lovell who uh originally designed theaters <laughs> he's originally a bunch of theaters and then he started he did this mausoleum and it was well, so successful he stopped designing theaters and just exclusively designed mausoleums <laughs> well considering the history of chicago theater either way it's full of dead people <laughs> uh, he would later go on to patent a ventilation system for mausoleum construction <laughs> currently resides in the Rose Hill Mausoleum as well. There you go. So it is the largest mausoleum in Chicago. It has two levels, all marble inside, and has like Tiffany stained glass windows. There, There's a few... Is, uh, is Charles Tiffany inside the mausoleum too? No, he's okay. not. There are some notable people though. Uh, Richard B. Ogilvy, governor of Illinois, is uh, apparently entombed near the ceiling. I prefer to think he's buried in the train station, but uh, we can't always get what we want. Aaron Montgomery Ward and Richard Warren Sears are both there. Yeah. Now, it is rumored the ghost of Sears walks the mausoleum, probably because he's really pissed off that Montgomery Ward is there as well. Well, he's the last <laughs> thing from Sears in the city, so... Uh... Yeah. John G. Shedd has a family room within it. Oh, with like a sofa and... <laughs> it does have furniture. Oh the my goodness. The furniture has like... Like seashells and like uh, seahorses carved onto See- it. And, and, and the windows mm-hmm. are Tiffany windows that are like this blue that like makes the place look like you're underwater. Mm-hmm. And he apparently made Tiffany like sign a contract stating that he would make no other windows that were these windows. <laughs> if you don't recognize the name, the, the aquarium in Chicago is named the John G. Shedd mm-hmm. Aquarium. Yes. That, that's why this underwater theme is, is so uh, delightful, I Yes, guess. yes. Now, uh, Rose Hill is home to approximately 350 Union soldiers. 
and sailors uh, and three confederates. Oh, you were uh, lucky for you. It is very popular among Civil uh, War fans because mm-hmm. it's the largest private burial ground in Illinois for uh, Union veterans, including like 16 generals or something. One, one more uh, person that I think you would find uh, fun that's buried there yeah. is uh, Edward McWard. Who was Mr. Gibbs, the old man in the Arsenic and Old Lace movie? Oh, yeah, along with like the rest of his family, but he's there. <laughs> my high school did that show, and it was the last show I did for my high school, and I had a really good time. So now we're, we're going to get into a few ghost stories. Ghost stories. So there is a monument that was moved from Old City Cemetery to Rose Hill. It is the grave marker of Francis Pierce Stone. It is a life-sized image or like statue of francis and her infant daughter who was also named francis wow uh, reclining on that's top two kinds of being egotistical yeah. uh reclining on this stone the monument is encased in glass to protect it from wear now so francis married a man named uh horatio stone i was really hoping for francis but spell the other way <laughs> uh they married in september of 1852 when she was 17 and she gave birth to a daughter in 1853. But then in March of 1854, she died at the age of 20. Oh. And in May, her infant child went as well. Oh. Um, now, often people think Horatio's that, really bad at babies. That, <laughs> just wait. Often people think that uh, they died, like, in childbirth because it's, like, the statue of the two of them together. No, not the case. It was months apart. Child was also like 10 months old by then. Before Horatio married Francis, he had married a woman named Jane. And they were together for quite a while, like 17 years. He was much older than Francis, if you can't tell. They had two daughters, Augusta and Samantha. Now, Augusta died at the age of one, and Samantha died a few days later at the age of five. Okay. His wife died several years later. Then he married Francis and lost both of them. So needless to say, he was a freaking wreck. Over this. Is he the unluckiest man in the world or a serial killer? (laughs) They all died from, like, illnesses. Yeah, okay, sure. Like scarlet fever and stuff like that. Okay. Cholera or whatever. All right. So originally, Francis and little Francis were buried next to his first wife and children in Chicago's city cemetery. Um, And he commissioned the memorial statue to be placed at the grave site there. Um. The marker for Jane, the first wife, has been lost. Um, but all I'm the sure rest, Francis likes it that way. All the rest, including his first two children, have were moved to Rose Hill. Now, the legend says on the anniversary of the Francis's deaths, a white haze fills the box. Now, they died months apart, so I'm not sure what anniversary they're talking about. But this white haze fills the box. And they say it's like the spirits of Francis and Francis trying to find Horatio. Well, he died. Like, go find him. Like, it's got to be a lot easier now. It's not going to work. You're looking in the wrong spot, Frankie. Some happy news, though. Horatio did marry again and had four children who lived to be adults. And he died before all of them. Wow. So, like, he didn't have to bury anyone else. He finally read a baby book. He is buried next to the monument. Oh, okay. Yeah. You can do a 5K through Rose Hill Cemetery. Sure is big enough, isn't it? Yeah. 
So then we have uh, Graceland Cemetery, mm-hmm. which uh, opened in 1860. That's where Elvis is. No. So in the 19th century, uh, the L would run like funeral cars to certain <laughs> they cemeteries. They were black and they wore veils. They were, they were actually like special like funeral cars that would take like all the mourners and like oh. the body to the cemetery. Graceland was one of the ones that was served by that. But uh, George Pullman is buried there in a lead-lined coffin with a reinforced steel and concrete vault so his body couldn't be exhumed and uh, desecrated by labor activists. Yeah, well, he still <laughs> deserves it. You can take all the preventative measures you want. It doesn't mean it wouldn't be awesome. Uh, Daniel Burnham, the city planner of Chicago and chief of construction for the World's Fair, uh, is buried there with his family. Yes. They... M- many of the fair architects are in Grace Hill. Well... Did you know that they're buried on an island? Like their own little island? I think so, yes. Yeah. I I did read that in a book we're going to talk about soon. Okay, well, they're buried on a little island in the cemetery that's reachable by a footbridge. We're going to talk about another famous ghost. Sure. Ines Clark. The story goes that in 1880, a six-year-old named Ines Clark was struck and killed by lightning. Um, some say she was on a picnic with her parents. Some say that she accidentally got locked out of her house during a thunderstorm. Her parents commissioned her likeness to be sculpted and placed over her grave. Now, this sculpture shows a little girl sitting with a smile. Um, it's also covered in a clear box to protect it from wear. The story goes that the little girl will disappear from the box. Like, the, the, the Ooh, statue will just disappear. Vandalism! Um, especially if there's storms. <laughs> the 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 story goes that she, if, if there's a storm, she's scared of getting struck by lightning again, so she tries to run away. Some children in the area will tell their parents parents that they played with a little girl that meets her description. Oh, that's spooky. That's spooky. Yeah, that that's that's actually very common. Where like one of the biggest things is that oh, I was playing with this little girl. Oh, she's just over there. Where'd she go? Oh, she was dressed like that little girl. Ah. Well, that makes it less spooky. That just sounds like the end of the usual suspects. There is no Inez Clark in cemetery records or city census. So so if I go to the cemetery, will I find the statue? Yes, the statue's there. Okay. The statue is there. But, like, there's nothing that says that that child ever existed in the city of Chicago. <gasps> oh, okay. That's oh, what okay. it is. Like, she's not on cemetery records. So some people are, try to say that this statue, this monument is actually, like, advertisement by the artist and was just, like, placed there, and there's not actually a child. What people have investigated is that idea that Inez was Mary Clark, her mother's daughter from her first marriage, and her name is actually Inez Briggs. Oh. uh, And that she died of diphtheria, which in the 1880 census, there is a report showing a seven-year-old girl with that name living with her grandparents, David and Jan Rothrock. Those two people are buried next to the statue. Uh-huh. So it's thought that perhaps Inez went to live with them after her parents separated, and then Mary Clark remarried. This sounds very plausible. Yes. Okay. Much more plausible than, like, it's just advertisement. What are you advertising? How would people, like, know that that's advertisement if you're writing an actual child's name on the thing? Well, you're supposed to dial 1312 INEZ. 
So there uh, is also a monument for Dexter Graves, who is a former hotel owner and businessman. Now, this dude's got, like, the most messed up looking monument. Everyone else has got these, like, self-sculpted, like, looks like their likeness. No, this dude has, like, a cloaked figure covering, like, half of its face, like, freaking Batman, (laughs) looking like the Grim Reaper. Okay, yep. and it's called Eternal Silence, which was made by uh, this guy named Taft, and it's been nicknamed though the Statue of Death because it freaking looks like death's coming to get you. And when it was originally made, it was like apparently like all black, but due mm-hmm. to weathering, you know, it's become like the green effect has taken over, except for its face. The face is still black, so you just have this like cloaked thing and this black face. And it's said when you stare into the statue's face, you will see your own death. I dig this. I, if I was to have like a, a big monument at my grave, I would want this. I would, like, want, I would want the most honest grave monument. Like, where do you think we are? Come on. Well, Come I like. On. I like to think that. Uh, this What's is, with all these obelisks? This is in Egypt. This is a cemetery. I like to think that this dude Dexter was like the most doofy looking man ever. That was just like <laughs> a little little nerd boy. But then he has like, I'm going to kill you by looking into my face. <laughs> so he's compensating for something in the afterlife. Is yes, that what you're saying? Yes, that's okay. what I'm saying. So yeah, it's some stories about some cemeteries, and we we are on to my last story, mm-hmm. and it's my favorite one I found. Close strong. It's it's a little sad though. No. Yeah, I I hate to tell you. <laughs> I I would like to point out we started with a woman throwing her children out a twelve story oh, th- window. This is sadder. This, this is, is sadder. 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 Okay. Abe Froyman is not the sausage king of Chicago. What? I work with Abe Froman. I know Abe Froman. He's not, the sausage king no, of Chicago. No, he's not. Well, I keep calling for him at this restaurant every single day for lunch. So, you want to know who the sausage king was? Sure. Adolf Lewis Blutkert? Letkert? Oh, that's Abe Froman's grandfather. Yeah. He inherited the title. What else did he inherit? Let's find out. Uh, so, he was born in uh, Germany. Most people named Adolf were. Uh, Lived in New York, Uh Quincy, Illinois, and then moved to Chicago in 1870s. Uh, He married his second wife shortly after he came to Chicago. Her name was Louisa. And he was considered the sausage king of Chicago, running a very successful sausage company. Louisa disappeared in 1897, and Adolf claimed that she went to visit her sister and never came back. Well, her brother reported her missing to the police. Then he changed his story and said, well, she ran away with a different man. So they started to investigate, and they found out that uh, domestic violence was something in their relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was also having financial issues, and they found uh, that he had The been, sausage wasn't selling anymore? Yeah, he had been seeing also a rich widow that he planned to marry once uh, Louisa was out of the picture. Oh. So they also found out that the night that she disappeared, she was seen entering the factory with her husband. The night watchman had uh, seen them, but had been sent to run errands before being told to go home for the evening. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also found bills that arsenic had been uh, bought shortly before mm-hmm. by him. They searched the furnace where they found burned sausages and human remains. And they also found two of her rings in the meat grinder. <laughs> Uh, bone fragments were also identified. Now, 
They believe that he killed her. Uh, yeah, uh, I think that I believe it as well. Boiled her in lye and threw her in the factory furnace. Oh. Though it was rumored that maybe she turned into some sausages. There's no proof of that. Um, we need a sausage magna cut up in here. Limit so, the powers of the sausage king. Uh, he was taken to trial. And uh, the first time the jury was able, unable to reach a unanimous decision. Um, so it went to retrial. During the retrial, uh, George Amos Dorsey, an anthropologist from the Field Museum, was brought in to identify the bones as being human. Wait, wait. I would not bring in anybody to figure this out who can't figure out how a mummy fell over. <laughs> Some people say it's one of the, like... Early times that, like, kind of, like, forensic evidence like this was used in some cases. Uh, he was convicted and sentenced to life in prison. Some say the factory burned down, mm -hmm. but it didn't. It did have a fire, but it, it still stands. It didn't burn down the building. The building is now condos. And it is said the basement's not a very welcoming place. Because guess what? That's where the meat grinders and stuff were. Welcome to the jungle. So, you know, if you're ever looking for a condo, 1735 West Diversity might be the place to go, I guess. I don't know. Do you think uh, he passed anything on to uh, our good buddy uh, Abe? See, the problem is my Cameron Fry voice is slowly turning into a really bad Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> so I don't want to answer that question. Okay. So what did you learn? I, I think I have a lot in common with the people who who share and people who enjoy them in that a, a few episodes ago I was talking about how I enjoy physical bits of history, right? Like mm -hmm. monuments and, and markers, here is the place, etc. Yeah. For very sentimental reasons. And I think that these ghost stories are ways to create that where it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. it, it's a way to be a part of that story, even if there isn't something physical, there's something metaphysical. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that that is something that came to mind, hearing about these stories of, of awful crimes being linked to mysterious sightings. Yeah. Yeah. Part of the reason I like ghost stories is because they're tied into such strange history. Right. Like, I wouldn't know about the Sausage King of Chicago, the true one, if it wasn't for me looking up ghost There's stories. only one true Sausage King in this city. Or, like, the story of Inez. Like, if it wasn't for the fact she had a ghost story attached to her monument, would anyone have looked into who that yeah. little girl really is? And, and, and tore through that, census records. And, yeah, yeah, and that the name doesn't match and that that name does not exist and mm -hmm. that it's probably this other person like no no one would have looked that up <laughs> unless it was for the fact of like people being mystified by the idea that maybe this ghost like disappears type thing yeah like it it makes people look into interesting things and research stuff that would probably be glossed over or mm -hmm. forgotten so with that we're gonna take a break i guess so Here to read some letters, Ooh. some spooky letters. That's right. Our uh, <laughs> our prompt to you, the listener, at the end of our last episode was to share your local haunting stories, your local 
spookiness. Yeah. And we've uh, started getting some lovely responses. First, uh, Rumda writes in to talk about to talk about the Pendle Witches, a group of 12 people tried, 10 hanged in Lancaster in the early 17th century, one of the biggest witch trials uh, in English history. One fact about this that I really like is that one of the bus routes in Lancaster is known as Witch's Way yeah. to, to sort of commemorate. Uh, Which way? The Witch's Way. Which way? Third base. They're supposed to go on longer. <laughs> but if you're looking for, for some synergy, uh, Pendle Hill, well, where the Twelve were alleged to have committed their witchcraft, hence the Pendle Witches, is the site where George Fox, one of the founders of the, the Society of Friends, had a vision which led to him uh, uh, leading the Quaker movement. Thank you, Rumda. Steve writes in uh, with some thoughts on uh, the John Jay episode. Now, Steve's a law student, so knew some things about the, the whole uh, precedent of no advisory opinions and the Chisholm v. Georgia decision. But apparently in his classes, John Jay's name didn't get floated. Uh, I guess it's more important that it happened uh, compared to who... Did the happening. JJ, the horsey-faced horse, did not get mentioned either. And that's a crying shame. It is! Uh, he points out that the decision in Chisholm v. Georgia made Georgia so upset that they passed a law to enact the death penalty for any official trying to enforce the decision. So maybe Congress passing the 11th Amendment was, was just trying to save lives. As for the prompt itself, Steve uh, tells us about the Holiday Inn on Grand Island in the Niagara River, which is famously haunted. Guests report seeing a young girl in a nightgown skipping down halls accompanied by laughter and footsteps. That's one of your, like, base creepy things, right? Child laughing and skipping. That's that's the straight-up most cliché haunting. But hey, Or like, hey, mommy, I played with this child. Yeah, that's... Where'd that's she go? <laughs> But I guess you can't mess with the classic. Thanks, Steve. Well, kids are just freaking creepy. They are. Kids, kids are... say things that just make you wonder, like, what are you seeing? Kids are the worst. Alex sent us an email, very chatty email, which was nice to read. First off, thank you for the support for and uh, us doing Gexter Life. Um, this is the last episode going up where I know for a fact yeah. donations will still be open. Yes. So... Might as well mention that to everyone. If you would like to still donate to Gexter Life, all money will be going to Hurley's Children's Hospital in Flint, Michigan. Um, you can go to gextra.life, and we are still accepting donations. Um, mm -hmm. the, and the donations are open until early November. I don't know a date for exactly what that means. Thank you for your support with that. Now, Alex asked us some questions. What are some cool, weird Chicago musicians? Dude, I don't know. I'm old. We are way too old <laughs> to answer this question. We also live in the wrong neighborhood. So I don't know. I don't know what the, the underground Chicago music scene is. Also, uh, Alex asked, on the topic of musicals, how would we recommend someone without access to live theater go about getting into Broadway musicals? Cast albums. Cast albums are amazing. Also, YouTube nowadays. That's true. Um, Especially if you want to get into musicals that are currently on Broadway, so many of them post stuff on YouTube now. I mean, you can't see, like, the whole thing, but there's certain, like, you can see certain songs performed. 
sometimes rehearsals or them talking about the shows. But really, cast recordings is the way to go. If you're looking to get into older stuff, um, there's a lot of PBS specials for certain musicals, mm-hmm. a lot of the really famous like Andrew Lloyd Webber stuff and all that. Into the Woods has a fantastic uh, PBS presentation. Yes. And that's on YouTube, too. Yeah. Um, of course, there's always like some musicals that have made it made into movies. You know, not all of them are always awesome, but movie versions of musicals are a great way to at least understand the story. Right. Um, and then go listen to the cast albums and usually enjoy better singing. <laughs> um, I personally prefer the movie Evita over the cast original cast album, but that's my taste. And far better than the revival album. Oh my god, the revival's terrible. I don't know if the whole thing is terrible, but Ricky Martin is. Ricky Martin is bad um, in that. Another fun thing you can do is fake it. So just repeat after me, oh my god, I love Sutton Foster. That sentence will get you through so many conversations. I would also suggest looking to see what community theaters might be around you. Yeah. They might not have like the best productions ever, but it's find... a good way to go see something, get exposed to something, and even if like maybe they weren't the greatest, it can expose you to something you might be able to enjoy listening to elsewhere. You're going to see passionate hobbyists trying to have a good time and doing classic shows because they know that's the only way they'll sell tickets. Yeah. Yeah. But those are kind of the the main things. Here's another good tip for faking it. Uh, oh, I liked his uh, earlier show better. It works for Jonathan Larson. It works for Lin-Manuel Miranda. <laughs> Gotta say tick, tick, boom before rent, guys. Tick, tick, boom before rent. You also asked us some questions about gardening. Uh, is there room to garden in Chicago? No, not re- well. Kind of. There's like community garden plots. With huge wait lists. Yeah, like the one around here. It's something like five years to get one of the plots. I did have a friend though that did like. Again, it is neighborhood to neighborhood. Yeah, it depends. Some some farther out places. There's more. I did have a friend that used to bike to like the west side of Chicago. There was some like like an urban gardening. Yeah. Community where, like, she would pay a fee and they would supply her with all the stuff she needed to be able to garden in her plot of land. What kind of crops or flowers would you like to grow? Well, as a kid, I really liked to grow pumpkins. Yeah. That was that was big business for me, actually. I made a lot of money off of that when I was 11. Herbs would be good. Uh, so thank you, Alex. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for thinking of us when you were, uh... In a hotel room looking for somebody to chat with. Tammy sent us an email as well with some suggestions for places to visit in Philly when we go. We are totally visiting the Eastern State Penitentiary. That is like one of the first places I said I wanted to go when we decided we were going. I also uh, had written down the Christchurch Graveyard as being interested in. So, And I'm sure we might see some other places. Allegedly, the ghost of Ben Franklin will toss pennies at you. That's a good haunt story. Yeah. Toss some pennies. Can I talk? Can we like talk? Play, play catch? Can we toss them back and forth? No, I hope he tosses the pennies because like I'm paying for a flight. I'm paying for a hotel room. <laughs> uh, Tammy also shared um, a Santa Cruz haunts stories: um, the Brookdale Lodge, the Rispin Mansion, and the Sunshine Villa. The last of which was the alleged inspiration for Hitchcock's Bates Motel and the accompanying Bates Mansion. Also, the Red, White, and Blue Beach, former nudist spot that has a house that was destroyed, but appears at night with lit up windows. Ooh. Do any of the nudists appear at night all lit up, too? Do they, they like, glow 
That's that's disturbing the peace. Thank you, Tammy. Thank you, Tammy. Fiona writes back for the third episode running about the Poe toaster. Uh, I got some things wrong, and she thought of some more facts. So what I'm going to do in the show notes is link to the source she provided so that if you're curious, you can get everything cleared up from another interesting history podcast. And so that our letter section doesn't become the Poe toaster minute in perpetuity. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much, Fiona. Brian sent us an email and uh, actually brought up the Bachelor's Grove Cemetery, which was something I almost talked about. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bachelor Grove is an abandoned cemetery that was built between 1830 and 1840 in the Chicago area. Um, It is known for being incredibly haunted. Various reports of, you know, orbs and temperature changes and creepy dogs and cars um probably a little girl who sings as she skips away (laughs) there are also reports of people seeing like vehicles coming at them and people dressed as monks and a farmhouse that's there and then not there and various stuff there was a picture printed in the chicago tribune at one point about the white madonna a woman in white who walks the cemetery and some people try to say that it is also uh was used as a body dump for Al Capone's gang, but there's no evidence about that. People loves trying to squeeze Al Capone in places he don't fit. The amount of stuff you've, like, 90% of what you go looking for in Chicago is like, Al Capone was involved. Like, how? How was he involved? (laughs) Brian also has um, some questions for us. He's assumed that one of us has read Devil in the White City. Yes. We own two copies. Yeah. I'm giving (laughs) one away to a friend. It's okay. Uh, I I love that book. I love it so much. Uh, Could there possibly be an episode about this? I already made a a quick sort of five-minute video on the history of the 93 World's Fair that obliquely mentions uh, Holmes. There is definitely enough material for a full History Honeys episode in the future. Yes. On one or the other or both topics. Like, we basically would just be reading selections from the book at this point, but there is something very attractive about putting them together. We could just do a dramatized reading of Devil in in the White City. Maybe that's uh, next Haunted Honeys. I mean, it would take, like, weeks, (laughs) but we could do it. I love Devil in the White City, too. Uh, It's one of my favorite books. Second question is, favorite building in the city and why? You want to go first? Aqua Tower, which is uh, a building that was designed by Studio Gang that uses, like, topographical maps to design the balconies. It's one of my absolute favorites. I also love um, the building that the current Hard Rock Hotel is in. The Carbon and Carbide building. Yes. Which is my favorite building. So why it's, do you get two? You stole it's mine. It's green and pretty. I like it. It's Gatsby as fuck, and I love so it. It's so Gatsby. It is the most Gatsby building in the entire city, like, and it's beautiful. It's it's some strong, like, two feet forward Art Deco, and Baz Luhrmann would look at it and say, well, let's just bring it back a notch. It is the only hotel in the city that I would like to stay in one day. <laughs> that, yeah, I'd stay in that. I'd pay money to stay in the city I live in, sure. Three, who's going to write the children's book about J.J. the horse-faced horse? I'm so invested in this fictional horse now. I am invested in JJ's life as well. We have so many artist friends. Yes. I feel like we could put something together. I'm surprised there hasn't been JJ fan art yet. Thank you, Brian. Peter writes in trying to correct my pronunciation of gerrymander, though 
I said it properly. You see, it's, see, the word came from a man whose last name was Jerry with a soft G. And so gerrymander holds that. So I guess that's one thing that the transition from American English to British English sort of messed with. So uh, Peter answered the local oddity prompt by pointing out that folks from the town of Linlithgow are known as black bitches. Uh, the local lord in, in days of yore condemned a peasant to death by starvation and chained him to a tree on an island in the local loch. However, uh, the peasant survived for weeks, and it turns out that he had trained his black lady dog to swim to the island and bring him food. As punishment, the dog was then chained up to starve as well. Uh, however, however, the town's coat of arms has a starved black dog chained to a tree on an island on the shield. That's uplifting, I guess. Never forget. Uh, now, rather than a spooky sort of horror, uh, he wants to share this uh, uh, kind of medical horror from Scotland. Uh, Surgeon Robert Liston, a world record holder for uh, fastest amputations and deadliest. Uh, mm. he, he was trying to li save lives by going for speed, but sometimes that cost them instead, including one famous surgery with a 300% mortality rate. Not only did he remove the man's leg as intended, he castrated him, cut off the finger of one of his surgical assistants who contracted gangrene and died. An observer who was watching uh, was overwhelmed to the point of fainting, but when he fell, he struck his head on a table and died. And, of course, when you're uh, getting sliced open in far more places than was intended, the patient uh, died as well. That's one person being amputated, three people didn't make it out alive. <laughs> so thanks for those stories, Peter. And last but not least, Morgan sent us an email with a future episode suggestion. So we're not going to tell you what it is in case we use it. Now, it is interesting because Morgan points out they haven't heard the prompt we said for this episode, but did provide an episode suggestion about skeletons. Yeah. So it's fate. Yeah. It's, it's far more appropriate than you were intending, Morgan. Thank you very much. And that's all our listener mail for now. Feel free to send us your letters at historyhoneyspodcast at gmail.com. Thank you very much. And you can follow us uh, on all of our adventures on Twitter at History Honeys, on oh. Facebook at History Honeys, and Instagram That's right. at History Honeys. We finally got it up and running. It has several pictures, and I think... It's going to have a lot of pictures after this episode goes up. <laughs> Both relating to this episode and I will be putting up snaps of our trip, I'm sure. Probably. I'll How? probably putting up some. So now's the time to uh, get hooked up. It's You can find it linked on our Twitter. You can find it linked on our Facebook. And you can also find it at Instagram. It's just History Honeys, same as just the others. Just History Honeys. That's if true. If you don't have Instagram, you can go look at stuff just on your computer. <laughs> it's okay. We won't judge you. No. And while we're away, it would be wonderful, wonderful, wonderful if you find listeners help the show grow in our absence while we're on vacation. That would be the most wonderful surprise to to see when uh, wheels come down at O'Hare. Mm -hmm. So the best way you can do that is leave us a rating and review on iTunes, on Stitcher, on the Google, uh, Google Play, Play Music Store. 
we we got a message recently on Facebook from someone who who randomly found us through yeah. Google Play. It's good to know that thing's working because when I've tried to find us on there, I can't find <laughs> us. So I'm glad to know someone can. And it's working because folks like yourselves are leaving those ratings and reviews and, and bumping us up in those algorithms. We have evidence that it works. We're not just whistling Dixie. Also, tell your friends, tell a coworker, tell your mom, your sibling, your dog. I don't know. Maybe your dog likes to listen to podcasts. But tell some people. Pass it on. I suppose all that is left to say is... I'm Malena. And I'm Grant. And history's better. When, when you're haunted. haunted. Whoa. Uh, uh.